0: Welcome to the What If We Loved podcast with your hosts, Bruce and Shay Mason and Janie Giebelhaus. This is a show where we explore what the love of the Father really looks like. We want to help you enter into a deeper experience of the Father's love so you can better know who God is, who you are, and how to live a life in love every single day.
1: Welcome to the What If We Love podcast. We are really, really excited to have a special guest today. Um, I'm here with Bruce and Janie, as always, and today we are going to be chatting with Nicole Zazowski. Nicole is a licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, and speaker. Originally from Seattle, she now lives in Connecticut with her husband, Jimmy, and three young children. Nicole is a graduate of Pepperdine University and Fuller Theological Seminary. She is the author of From Lost to Found and What If It's Wonderful. And today we'd really love to talk about What If It's Wonderful, which has a wonderful subtitle of Mm -hmm. Release Your Fears, Choose Joy, and Find the Courage to Celebrate. And I just really thought this was a great book to kind of kick off the new year. Um, We haven't done a podcast since before christmas so Mm. this is starting off something fresh and celebration seems like a good theme
0: i love the cover it's got confetti all over it it looks very new here actually (laughs) (laughs) welcome thanks for joining us
2: oh my goodness thank you so much for having me i'm excited
1: yeah we are really really glad to have you here nicole i Absolutely loved both of your books. Um, I Mm. had the privilege of being on uh, the launch team for both of Nicole's books and loved them and Mm. have actually purchased many copies to give to friends. (laughs) I just think they're they're so helpful for people in all sorts of places in life where they're struggling, questioning God's goodness, um, just wondering what's ahead and... Mm needing courage, and I know I've been profoundly impacted by what Nicole has written, so it's it's a real honor to have you on today, and I would love for you to just share about how What If It's Wonderful came into being.
2: Mm. Yes, a lot of people would assume that a book about celebration was born because I had a lot to say about joy and celebration and was an expert in those things, and that was definitely not the case. Um, this book was born much more out of a season that could be largely characterized by change and loss. And what I noticed, you know, I don't think our seasons are ever all pain or all joy, but certainly as we look back on our life, we can identify seasons that lean in one direction or another. And what I noticed is when I began to emerge from that season of pain and encountered more good news, more rejoicing. I noticed that my joy was accompanied by a lot of fear. And I realized that when you go through pain or trauma of any kind, um, it can be hard to hold that joy uh, because it's easier not to hold it than to hold something that might break. Hmm. And I was really sad and grieved when I realized that, yes, I've experienced a lot of tangible loss in the last decade or so of my life, but a lot of the loss I've experienced is my own refusal to engage with the gifts that God had given me because I was so afraid that they would be taken away. Um, And it's a strange form of control um, to not hold those gifts, to... um, Call yourself a realist when really I was trying to protect myself with pessimism and cynicism. Um, and so that just sent me on this journey of understanding how the, the vulnerability of joy, which I learned in my research that joy is the most vulnerable feeling we feel because when you hold something, it is automatically accompanied by the possibility of loss. Um, so understanding that and understanding God's heart for celebration where he is in the midst of our joy, because I think I had drawn so close to him in my season of pain, his breath was close on my face in that painful season. And I realized having grown up in the church, I didn't have a context for what it looked like to engage with God deeply in my joy and what his presence looked like in
1: that place too. And so that's how What If It's Wonderful was born. Thank you. That's, you know, that's a story that really speaks to my heart because I'm someone that, like you, um, was always afraid of the other shoe dropping. Mm-hmm. And even when things were going well, I would think, well, this won't last. <laughs> yeah. And and so I, I found it very hard to, to celebrate or to experience true joy because I would always shut myself off. I mean, I can even remember times where I would stop talking to God because I didn't I was afraid of what he would have to say to me, that he might take Mm -hmm. away the good things and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to hear it. And I've had a lot of healing in that area of my life, but I think it's very relatable. I think many people are in that place where they think, well what if what if the story that God's writing is not the story that Mm. that I want him to write? How do we know? How do we know what story mm. is the best story? What story mm-hmm. he could... I mean, it's, that's the thing. What if it's wonderful? What if what mm-hmm. he's writing for us is better than what we ever could have conceived? Mm. And I just love that freedom to let go and, and let him write the story. So f- mm. thank you for that.
2: Yeah. Oh, my pleasure.
3: It is interesting, too, with... It feels like a risk to celebrate or to share mm-hmm. with other people your celebrations because you're like oh I don't want to be embarrassed if it doesn't come to pass like if you like oh I I might get this great job you don't want to tell people because you don't want to get your hopes up for yourself mm-hmm. and you also don't want the embarrassment of having to go back and tell them but oftentimes they're celebrating with you and they they want the best for you they're not going to glean any joy yeah. from your failures mm-hmm. um and so I was just wondering what do you say to someone who has some good news or a, a shimmer of hope of something, mm-hmm. and they're in that place of temptation to celebrate or to hide. What mm. would you give? What advice would you give to them in order to help them get past that mound of fear?
2: Yeah, um, the the two most common reasons that I think people stay quiet um, in their joy, at least in my conversations with readers and with clients in my therapy practice is one, that vulnerability of joy. So they're trying to manage that vulnerability of hope through pessimism and cynicism by saying, you know, it probably won't happen or, you know, last time it didn't work out. So I'm not going to hope for it this time. And the research is really clear that even if we practice disappointment or rehearsed disaster, um, as I put it in What If It's Wonderful, basically expecting the worst case scenario, the research is really clear that it doesn't take the sting out of that disappointment Mm. at all. What it does do is it You miss the opportunities to delight, even in the journey, um, because your eyes are so cast down, scanning for what didn't happen or what isn't happening. So all that it does is it, it robs us of delight rather than taking the sting out of the outcome that we fear. Um, The other reason I think people are quiet is they're worried, and and maybe this is more common when they have had the opportunity to celebrate, like the, the good outcome or the good news does happen. They're thinking about, sensitively, the other people in their lives who might be walking through something hard, whether it's the same area of their life or something totally different. And I think that can become really isolating. The person who's in pain is afraid to rain on the other person's parade. The person who's experiencing joy is afraid of being insensitive rather than just doing both together. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we still want to be sensitive, but to, to be willing to step into each other's circles and rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn is life-giving for both parties.
1: Mm, I love that. And that's really a beautiful way to think about engaging with mm. others, that we really can share our struggles, we can share mm. our joys, and we can help to lighten the burden for each other. I think yes. that's really you know, what Jesus has in mind for us when mm. he, he brings the body together.
0: I'd love to hear Nicole, in your own life, with uh, the—I don't want to sort of give away the whole part of your book here—but but <laughs> your, in your story, um, yes, with the various miscarriages that you mm-hmm. had, um, for what you were just you're sharing about that tendency to not want to overwhelm people with your um, your struggles, yet mm. also being. And not wanting to celebrate when they're struggling, mm-hmm. but as as you walked it out in your life and in your mm-hmm. circles of friends and family, how did you navigate that?
2: Mm. I think when I was in the early part of their journey, uh, my journey where there were, you know, at 1.5 miscarriages and I had James, my son, um, it looked pretty bleak. Um, I would say that was probably the, the most difficult part of, of my journey. Um, you know, I was in that life stage when a lot of my friends were having babies and that was not their brand of struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. it came easily to them and there was a lot of celebration and my best friend, I still remember, um, Statistically speaking, so we were both pregnant, um, and this is when I was pregnant with James, and she became pregnant with her third child. And statistically speaking, she would get to meet her baby, and I would not. And she was sobbing telling me she was pregnant because she was so aware of what a hard journey this has been for me. And this was my best friend. Sure. And I thought, I, we can either stay quiet. I can stay quiet about my hurt and you can stay quiet about your joy, or we can do both together. And I thought I would rather have my friend in both of those experiences Mm -hmm. than to do both of these things alone. And so we did both get to have our babies, but there was a period of time where we didn't know that was the case. And we did both together and it only strengthened our friendship Um, and I think when I was celebrating, you know, you want to, you want to be of course, sensitive in terms of your timing and your word choice. I'm not saying that you celebrate with no awareness (laughs) of what's going on, but I think that that's where people get into trouble is where we feel like we can only do one or the other. Mm. Instead of doing both together, we either expect pain to be the only thing that matters um, or we expect joy to cancel the pain. And, st- and that would be toxic positivity, right? <laughs> that's where yeah. we say um, we expect anything good in life to just kill and cancel any sort of thing that's hard rather than just letting them sit in the same room together because Jesus sits in both places. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. That's so good.
1: Yeah, I, I love that idea of of paradox because so much of the Christian life is a paradox. And mm-hmm. I, I, I pulled this quote from your book that I really love. Um, Celebration is not a means of escaping the reality that mm-hmm. our hearts are brutally bruised, but keeps us grounded in the truth that both our heartache and our hope are true. And mm-hmm. I just think that's a powerful statement for mm-hmm. all of us who are wondering, can even in the midst of something horrible, can I experience something good? Mm-hmm. And this was something that I really didn't realize until this last year. Um, we suffered a lot of losses in our family. And, yeah. and I I will say that I was actually reading your book, Nicole. <laughs> when you were launching mm-hmm. it, I was sitting at my dad's bedside in hospice. Oh, my and
2: goodness. And
1: I was thinking, can I celebrate any of this? Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. the worst thing. It was my greatest fear. Mm-hmm. And I remember waking up in the, the next morning after a rough night and the light was coming in the window and I heard a bird and I just heard the Lord say that his Barcy's were new every morning. Mm -hmm. And I thought you really can hold joy
2: Mm -hmm.
1: with suffering. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, Yeah. I, I think that, God has used so much pain in my life to draw me closer to his presence and the awareness of his goodness. Um, And to be able to acknowledge what is good, even in the midst of being totally, brutally honest about what is so hard and what you wish was not, Um, to be able to do both Together and lean into God in both of those places is where he's just really blessed me in my life. Mm.
0: One of the things that I love about what God did in raising Jesus is that he could have not had the holes left. But hmm. he could have hmm. removed all of that, hmm. but he but he left them so that yeah. when Jesus rose from the dead the the signs of the suffering were still there but they meant something different yeah now they meant victory they meant mm-hmm. but god didn't he didn't it's like he didn't diminish the pain in terms of the right. recognition of the that the pain existed and was real mm-hmm. but he said that something can come out of it and something yes. i think Shay mm-hmm. with with you and and your dad and everything that we've walked through that that we're seeing more and more of those those glimpses, we're seeing the reality of what God is bringing out and through those painful experiences that we've had, not in any way denying the reality of it. And, um, but his
1: redemption brings beauty. Yeah.
0: And so I think mm-hmm. that's really, that's really important what you talk about in your book about how that mm-hmm. pain um, and that joy can cohabitate.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and that's something that's very hard for people And certainly we've all struggled with that, to actually see how those can walk hand in hand. I don't know if there's anything more that you can share about that.
2: Well, one of the chapters in my book talks about the conversation between Jesus and his disciples the night Mm -hmm. before uh, he was crucified Mm -hmm. on the cross, and the language that you just used reminds me of Jesus's language in that passage, because it is interesting. And and of course, he's talking with the full knowledge of what's about to happen right. and his disciples, all they know is that something dramatic is going to happen very soon. And it's kind of increasing their anxiety because Jesus's language is sort of vague and cryptic, but it's clear that whatever's about to happen is going to happen soon. Like in a little while you will see me no longer. And then you'll see me again. And and they just have no context for this.
0: What is he talking Uh, about?
2: Yes. Yes. And, and one of the things that Jesus tells them is that your pain will turn to joy. And he uses the analogy of a, a mother in childbirth, bringing her child into the world. And of course that's an excruciatingly painful experience physically. Um, but that same event that the source of her pain will become the source of her joy. Um, and I, I had never thought about uh, the holes in Jesus' hands being left and how it could have been otherwise, but it wasn't. And the example I gave in my book is, is just even the sign of the cross, the symbol that would have conjured up nothing but images of torture mm-hmm. and sadness and death um, becomes a symbol that we wear around our necks and in our homes as, as a sign of hope and redemption in our lives. Um, and yes, there's so much beauty that can come from the difficult things and we're not calling those things good. Those things are categorically hard and painful. Um, but God is the God of, of redemption and transformation and how fun to watch all the ways that he does that in our lives.
0: And that's truly worth celebrating. Mm, Yes. Yes. So many ways.
1: Yes. Um, One of the points you make in your book is about the way our brains have a tendency to focus on the negative more easily Mm. than the positive. And this reminded me, we did a podcast last year with our friend Nigel Mumford, and he's a healing pastor in Virginia Beach. And he talked about having a negative default. Mm -hmm. And when I read that section of your book, it sort of struck me as a a similar idea that, that Comes up, we see it a lot in the healing ministry where someone is yeah. really unable to refocus on something mm-hmm. that might be positive. So, mm-hmm. what would you say to someone who is struggling with that, with the negativity mm-hmm. um, and just not able to sort of, I don't want to diminish it, but to like dial into joy? Like, where do you yeah. find joy when you're over your head in negativity?
2: Yeah. And there's no simple answer to that, Um, but left on neutral, the brain does lean negative. And so what it means, there's good news and bad news. It it means that we have to take responsibility for that fact and um, be intentional about feeding it something different. Because another adage I often say, and I I believe I say it a few times in the book, is the brain also prefers what it knows. Mm -hmm. And so the voice that you hear most often and the loudest is the voice inside your own head. And most of us don't pay attention to what messages we are giving that voice to say. Um, So... We end up saying things, for instance, about our identity, shaming messages about our mm-hmm. identity, that we would never say to somebody else, especially someone that we love, and yet we don't pay attention to the fact that those sh- we're letting those shaming messages play on replay over and over again. And so it's it's a being able to identify what feeling about myself or my situation is causing me to shame myself in that way. And then what message of truth could I answer that feeling with? So for example, um, not good enough is a common feeling that many of us experience. Mm -hmm. And so what message am I going to claim that speaks directly to that feeling like a loving parent or a caring friend? Um, and being willing to claim that message. And here's the kicker. We can think and act our way to a new feeling. We cannot feel our way to a new way of thinking and acting. Hmm. So what this means is we might have to claim that as true before we feel it's true. Mm -hmm. But the more often we have that conversation with ourselves and say, hey, wait a second, that feeling is real. And you probably have really good f- reasons for feeling that way. But this is what I've decided is true about who you are. Um, that starts to change the game because a new pathway is carved for that truth. And all of a sudden, that becomes what is most familiar to the brain. <laughs> And so when you encounter a conversation or a situation that triggers that not good enough feeling, your brain says, oh, we have an answer for this. And I'm not going to so readily enter into that shame because this is what I've decided is true. Um, and just practices in general around negativity, like say practices like savoring or practices like Thanksgiving that I outline in the book. Um, can be really helpful in retraining our brain towards um, hope, joy, celebration, not negativity. (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. And I I love to, I'm not sure if it was in the book or on a podcast that you did, but I remember you saying that a tool you can use if you're having such a hard time believing truths about yourself is to carry a picture of yourself as a kid because mm, yes. it's easier to believe it about the kid and it's still the same yeah. heart and the same yeah. they're, they're the same person and so I loved that yeah. note of if someone's super stuck and they just yeah. cannot like they say it and they say it and they say it over themselves and they're just blocked that it might yeah. help to look at themselves as a kid because it's still them I love yes. that yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, glad that was really helpful. helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'll have clients, um, and in this digital age, I'll have clients um, uh, take a picture of themselves when they were little, either on their phone or um, a hard copy, and keep it on their phone, mm-hmm. so that it's just always with them that they can pull it up. And some people keep a hard copy in their wallet just because it's one step easier. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are much harder on ourselves at our at our age now than we. Are on that child version of ourselves. Mm.
0: I actually put up in our bedroom, Shay, a little picture of myself as a kid. Mm. Now, I didn't really think about it the way you're talking about it, but it's sure. having that effect where I can look at that little boy and see the smile mm. on his face, and it brings a lot of joy.
2: Mm. Actually, I love that.
0: During this time, I love that. Um, now, with, um, as Shay was talking about, there's people who have that negative default. <laughs>
1: In their mm-hmm. mind, but then
0: there's there's people who are really in the midst of deep trauma. So they've mm-hmm. experienced. Um, I mean, you as a counselor know this, and we as as prayer ministers have dealt with people with really intense mm-hmm. traumas. And we never rank anybody's traumas. You know, what might be intense for no. one person is not for someone else. But mm-hmm. but they're all real. Um, and mm-hmm. and it's some for some there's almost no capacity. Yeah. Uh, without healing, in order mm-hmm. to to. To be able to focus on a positive, or to mm-hmm. or to think a positive, um, mm-hmm. so when you when you deal with people like that, um, mm-hmm. for whom I know you have lots of compassion, as as do we, yes. and we've walked that road ourselves, just our own lives. Mm-hmm. How do you? Um, what would you say to people who who really? It, it's very dark right now mm-hmm. in, in their lives, and so the thought of celebrating or the thought of thinking about something in a positive way almost it seems like an impossible hurdle
2: yeah i would say that you can't um you can't move somebody until you sit with them where they are Mm -hmm. and you might need to sit a really long time Mm. until they're ready um to get up but that's that's part of the healing process Mm. is being able to name what hurts and name specifically not just what happened circumstantially what was the impact to my identity and my sense of safety? Mm-hmm. Those are the wounds, you know, often, understandably so, when you don't have that counseling language, you know, people tend to think of their pain as, as what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the triggering event, um, which obviously matters, and the, the details of that story matter, but also the details of the story that they took from that event is is what truly that wound is whether that was a message of worthless or a message of powerlessness um, whatever that was it's different for everybody in every story but we can't speak truth to a pain unless we know what that pain is mm-hmm. um, and have identified it specifically and really understood it and also What are the things we've done to try and protect ourselves from that pain that are totally understandable but not helpful? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Whether that's control, whether that's shame, whether that's blame, whether that's escape, being able to identify, you know, what we even as children probably needed to do in some ways. They may have been necessary behaviors. But as adults who are empowered to make choices, maybe they're getting in the way Of that growth and relationship connection Mm -hmm. that we long for. Um, Slower is faster. (laughs) Um, And with any kind of trauma, this isn't about, you know, just naming a feeling and naming the opposite and and hoping that that fixes it all. Often there's, Mm. you know, certainly in a therapeutic context, and I'm sure a, a healing prayer context as well, there's you know, safe visualization exercises we're doing and healing—it's very experiential um, in in a lot of ways that takes place over weeks and even months um, because these stories are painful and they cannot be rushed.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. All that she said yeah. there, because I think we can at times fall into almost the power of positive thinking idea right and then not if i just think well, this if i just, think this, if I just yeah. think this but then then i don't have to deal with it you know, right. deal with the underlying stuff but having mm-hmm. that and you're right about sometimes it's very slow and it's sitting mm-hmm. with somebody and uh, that's mm-hmm. part of that entering each other's circles as well yes. that you talked about yeah we're really yeah. living life with them in the way that god always intended us mm-hmm. to live with our fellow brothers and sisters
1: yeah i amen i recall that i heard you say um we were up at a retreat together in Massachusetts, mm. and I got to sit and uh, listen to you do a podcast with uh, Melissa Zeldevar, which was wonderful. And um, one of the things you said that I took a note of then was, we all just want to know, am I loved and am I safe? Yeah, And that just rang so true to me. Mm-hmm. It's so foundational. I know that it's something that we've um, discovered in our prayer ministry, that that really is yeah. the deepest human need. Um, so while our identity must ultimately ultimately be found in God, can you share some ways that we can be a positive, loving influence with each mm-hmm. other? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes, and, and that statement was um, based on a model I use in my therapy practice called restoration therapy. And those are the love and, and safety are really the two pillars of not just thriving but but true survival. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done studies on sadly what what the the human heart and mind looks like without one or both of those things and it is devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the you know when we experience a violation of love it informs our identity. When we experience a violation of trust, it informs whether or not we are safe. Um, and to yes, those two things are, are perfectly found in Christ, but I do think we get to participate in that for each other. Um, I always love opportunities to affirm someone's identity outside of what they do. Um, I've realized since I'm becoming a mom how easy that is in theory, and how difficult that is in practice. Um, because those are the natural moments to affirm people. Wow, great job! Or you you scored a goal, or you ran so fast. Like that's wonderful. And um, to to be able to affirm people's accomplishments is sort of when we're naturally prompted to celebrate each other and to call out each other's identity. I like to practice a discipline kind of outside of the most natural moments of here's why I am so grateful that you're in my life or I want you to know the difference that your friendship makes um, in my life, whether that's a written note. I think there's something really powerful about eye contact and sharing that face-to-face, but really just looking for opportunities to affirm somebody for who they are outside of what they do. Um, because especially in American culture, our identity can be so built by the roles that we play, the titles we have, um, the, the things that we've accomplished. And those are really awesome things and often a reflection of, of someone's gifting in some ways, but tell us very little about that person's value.
1: Right.
0: That's very important for parenting, isn't it? Yes, because so your, kids, yes. so your kids aren't learning that their value is based on their performance, yes, and how well they do or or behave, okay. but it's on something so much deeper.
2: Yes, and it's one of the the codes I've I don't know about cracked, um, mm-hmm. but a, a clue that I've gotten since the release of What If It's Wonderful, mm-hmm. is I I have this practice where I probably about a third of it is adolescence. And I just kept hearing over and over again, I just feel like a walking resume mm. from these teenagers. Oh, my gosh. And this was so confusing to me because I'm pretty familiar with the families that a lot of them are being raised in. And these are loving families. These are good parents. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these kids have all in all, I mean, no no life is perfect, but pretty great lives And I just thought, how is it possible that that is still the message they're walking away with? And then I realized that just as important as whether or not we celebrate somebody is when we celebrate them. And the most natural time as a parent, like I said, is cheering on that, that soccer game or little league win or the a on the test and those are the natural moments to affirm but over time what it tells our kids is that they're only as good as their last performance Mm -hmm. or that they're more worthy of celebration when there's something to show for it Mm
0: -hmm. yeah you see that in a lot of kids i know that our our son is in college right now and he always tells us about you know, I'm not gonna say we perfectly handled this with him, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No,
0: but he does he does talk to us about how he doesn't understand it's not the so much the drivenness, but the uh, the lack of ability for people to take a breath. For yes. the kids to actually take time for themselves to enjoy yeah. something. It's all yes. about that have to achieve, have to achieve, have yeah. to achieve. There's nothing wrong with achieving, obviously. No. But it's why, Yes. what's going on in, inside the heart. So I think mm-hmm. it's it, this is this is important. I don't know if you have any, um, and you may or may not have a, have any story of of you and your kids that you can share mm. and how you've maybe loved them in this kind of a way.
2: Oh, and I this is like I said, most of all, it really held up the mirror to an area I need to grow in <laughs> with them. Um, and again, not because I didn't want it otherwise from the beginning, but just you're busy, you're tired. And those natural moments are the kind of the ones that hit you in the face. Um, But some, some cues, uh, or conversation starters that I have come to rely on is just, um, again, outside of any sort of accomplishment or assignment or, or opportunity is just, here's why I love who you are. And here's why I'm so glad you're in our family. Mm-hmm. And here's what you bring to our family that's different than anybody else. And I'm so grateful that God <laughs> made you that way. Um, sometimes I'll just say something general, like, I just love who you are. Um, and, you know, we get used to that. I love you. And I'm not suggesting you stop saying I love you. But <laughs> but to, for my kids to know that I actually really like them and that I like the way that God made them. Mm-hmm. Um even in the midst of me getting frustrated with some of the things that they're working on, but just, I really love the way that God made your personality and our, I, I'm enjoying watching the gifts that he put inside you. It's really fun for me to see. Um, so those are some, just a few converse, sentence starters that I like to to fill out every once in a while.
3: That reminds me of, there's like a social media trend going on I'm not sure if you've seen it but a parent will look at the kid in the eye and say I love you when you're happy I love you when you're sad Mm. and then it it goes through all of the different emotions and then it's like not only do I love you but I like you and it's the most positive and they just they film the kid and a lot of times the little kid will just start kind of tearing up because I think it touches something deep into your heart yeah. It's like, oh, like that's what I've been longing for is just to know yes. that I'm loved. And it's so beautiful.
0: I yes. think parents
3: are starting to catch up that it's so important to, to give kids the identity as loved and not mm-hmm. good performers.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think in some cases, parents, I mean, their my kids might even say, yeah, well, I, and actually we hear this in, in prayer sessions sometimes. Yeah, I know my parents loved me,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but, they, but did, they, did they really believe they liked them?
2: hmm and there's a were difference. they delighted in yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: and and that and that's and that's where i think celebration can come in
2: mm-hmm. as you're talking
0: about that it's it's yeah. not just oh yeah we know by obligation my parent has to love me but actually right. they do delight in me and they celebrate yeah. me and want to celebrate yeah. with me yeah that yeah.
1: experience of of knowing that we're loved and appreciated just mm-hmm. for who we are makes mm-hmm. all the difference yeah, it changes yeah. everything
2: yeah David Thomas and, and Sissy Goff, who are two resources um, that I just love. They they have a lot of different books and obviously their podcasts and they they speak a lot about parenting and they say kids who are delighted in feel delightful. And it's so hmm. it's so simple, but when I heard it for the first time, I thought, Oh, I want my kid to feel delightful. But if I'm not delighting in who they are Um, that's not an outcome that will be so easy for them to come by. Um, yeah, I think it's, and we, we, as, as God, God's kids feel that too, right? Like I know God loves me. Um, but one of the reasons that I wrote, what if it's wonderful is to really understand, no, he's close to me and my joy. He delights Mm. in, in who I am and delights to see me take pleasure in his gifts
0: yeah and that um one of the things that that you talked about in your book that particularly resonated with me because of my past is the fact that God does want to celebrate us, but mm. that but that at least from my background, it was almost inappropriate mm-hmm. to celebrate
1: mm-hmm. that somehow mm-hmm. that would draw
0: too much attention to myself um, It's beyond just making other people feel bad, but that somehow it'd make me look bad yeah in the sense of of being um prideful, or yes. being boastful, or any yes. of those things. And what you're really saying is that, I mean, I suppose you could take that attitude, mm-hmm. depending on what your heart is, mm-hmm. but for the sure. most part, it's okay. And I think of that wonderful Matt Redman song from the early 90s that, that was it called, Undignified, about, you know, David dancing, I think you actually talk about yeah. this in the book as well, yeah. um, about, you know, I will be even more undignified than this, because he was celebrating all yeah. that the Lord had done and the victories that he'd, re- he'd received, so... So tell us why it's okay, really okay to celebrate.
2: Well, like you, I grew up with this notion that celebration was somehow Mm self-aggrandizing or something that would draw attention to myself. And I realized um, throughout the process of researching and writing this book that, oh, it's actually, my hesitation to celebrate is actually a sign that I have made that celebration about me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: not the other way around. Yeah. Because when I looked at that story of David going wild, and and in by many people's observation, inappropriately wild right. of celebration, um, that when they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, um, David recognized that he's been a recipient of grace. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what spurs him to this wild celebration. When I realize that the gifts God gave me are his gifts of grace, mm. the the opportunities I'm given to use them are purely because he's put them in front of me and called me to them. I celebrate freely because <laughs> yeah, what what I what I get to do and the gifts I get to exercise are purely from him and not at all things that I have earned, um, or accomplished myself. Um, nothing that I've done in my life, um, could be done without the power of God, um, and his spirit working in my life. And so when I am rightly, uh, when I'm thinking about that rightly, I celebrate freely. It's when, It's when I've made my gifts or the opportunities or my accomplishments about me that I'm all of a sudden sudden focused on how I look. Do Mm -hmm. I look humble? Mm -hmm. Do I look self-aggrandizing? Do I look like I'm drawing attention to myself? And that has become a sign for me. Whoops, we've
3: made that about (laughs)
2: me.
3: That's very wise. I love that.
0: Yeah, and and I I think that um, in the church, um, and I'm always very careful when we talk about the mm-hmm. church, so God loves the body. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I do think sometimes we've taken on almost an overly severe um, what's the word? Almost a false humility, or yeah. uh, mm-hmm. where we've, we've felt we have to behave in a certain understated way when actually mm-hmm. we have, of anybody, we have the most reason to celebrate.
2: Yeah, because of what yeah.
0: Jesus actually accomplished and who we now mm-hmm. really are in Him. Mm-hmm. And so I see Sunday mornings as truly that's the time. Well, we should celebrate all the time, but when we gather on yeah. a Sunday morning, hey, let's blow it out, man, because this is Amen. this is good news.
2: Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I think about Elizabeth who was carrying John the Baptist, and Mary comes to her door, and she's barely pregnant with Jesus. Mm-hmm. She's just been told this news, and um. The fir- that's, that's really the first encounter we have with, with Jesus, mm-hmm. the person who um, we get to see is encountering Jesus for the first time. And what is John the Baptist's reaction in the womb? A leap. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth shouts. She's loud in her celebration. And she starts, you know, Luke already told us that John the Baptist leaps. And then she says it again, mm-hmm. and I love that because she's giving testimony. Mm. She's, she's talking about her first instinct is to share the good news, mm-hmm. um, to give testimony of how God is moving in her life, um, even before he's born. Um, so I just love that as a model, mm. um, that, that the most natural and mature response to encountering Jesus is exuberant celebration
0: (laughs) and i think that's a great place to to wrap up Mm. our time with the exuberant celebration yes thank you because we're rejoicing we
1: are that we
0: had this time (laughs) with you to hear your thank you for having me and we really do recommend uh your book what if it's wonderful it's available where amazon anywhere elsewhere. you like to
2: buy books yes yeah. amazon certainly um mm-hmm. your local bookstore can order it for you if they don't have it
0: and then uh, maybe you can just list a few of the other books that you
1: have
2: uh from lost to found is my first book okay. um and that came out in early 2020 right as the pandemic okay. was <laughs> also <laughs> launching yeah um <laughs> Yes, but that one's called From Lost to Found, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. And they certainly don't need to be read in order, but um, if you're curious, that's more of the part one of the story.
1: Okay. Nicole is a really great storyteller, so you will want to read more of her story um, by picking up Lost to Found from Lost to Found as well. And um, we'll put a link to Mm -hmm. your website uh, in uh, the notes for this program so people will know where to find you. Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thanks again. Why don't we, as always, close with a prayer. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us every single reason in the world to celebrate. That you created us. That you sent your Son for us. That, Jesus, you did the most amazing thing for us by choosing to die on that cross and then being raised by your father so that we might live. That even in the midst of our pain, and that pain can be so hard sometimes, that we can know and experience joy. I pray for for those of you who are listening now or maybe people you know um, who are in the midst of a very dark and painful place Father, I pray that you will be very, very present with them, that Jesus, your love will be very real, and that the darkness will turn to light, and that your joy will be known in the midst. And Father, we know this is something only you can do. But I also pray for opportunities for us, not only to receive healing in our hearts, but also to be instruments for other people. To have the boldness and the courage to enter into each other's circles. To love each other well. In the joys, in the pains. So we can truly be one body. As you always intended us to be. Father, we thank you for Nicole, for her really beautiful role in the body, someone to share her heart in this way, to remind us about celebration, the reality of holding the the pain and the joy in tension, but that we can actually, that we're not lost, that we're not forever stuck in the difficult place, that there is new light in the morning. We pray that you will bless her. You'll bless her in her um, ministry and her her practice and everything and all relationships. And we thank you, Father, for her. And we thank you for this time we've had together. And as always, we pray that you will be known and seen and experienced by all. Because you are worth it in every way. So we thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. And we give you glory, rejoicing and celebrating in who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nicole. It's been an absolute joy to have you on here. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, same for me. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So till next time, I'm not sure when that'll be, but we'll have another one (laughs) soon. (laughs) God bless everybody. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to the What If We Loved podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and also leave us a rating. It really helps us get the word out there. For more information about our ministry, Love Inside Out, please visit our website at loveinsideout.org. Thanks for listening.